Tonight we are uh, getting our start into chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession, and so we turn our attention to, we've, we've looked at um, God's providence, His creation, His power, His nature, and the Word, and, and tonight we begin to look at the restorative, redemptive work of our God, and especially why it was needed, and so we look to Genesis chapter 3 as we learn about the first sin. These are the words of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we ask you now as we come to consider <clears throat> the, the ravaging and the wreckage of your created order, we ask that you would bless us. And Father, help us to grow in wisdom and discernment as we understand how to live in this world that you've created and, and everything that has befallen it. Help us, Father, also to honor you, to remember your great sovereignty, that you preside over your earth and you are directing all things to one end, which is your glory. We praise you for that. We ask now for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the essential worldview questions is, why are things the way that they are? So we always we, we, we work through four questions, and the very first one uh, that we begin with is, um, is how did we get here? How did we get here? And, and uh, you'll answer that question one of uh, maybe several ways. Um, uh, the, the humanist answer is, well, we are the process of, um, of evolution, of nat- natural processes that are what govern, uh, that are what govern the earth. Uh, the scripture's answer, the true answer, of course, is that God created all things that exist. One of the other essential worldview questions is this. Why are things like they are? 
most people that you talk to will acknowledge that something is wrong. Um, That children ought not starve. That murder is a heinous evil. That something is broken. And that, that brokenness is definable. But what is that brokenness? Where does it come from? Why is it in the world? And the Scriptures answer that question for us in Genesis chapter 3 as we think about the very first sin. And the confession of faith in chapter 6, paragraph 1, puts it this way. Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This their sin. God was pleased according to His wise and holy counsel to permit, having purposed to order it to His own glory. The confession, as we think through this, is is very concerned to make really two basic points. The first point is this. Adam and Eve sinned. They sinned willingly. They sinned freely. They did so of their own volition. They wanted to sin. They were enticed by the temptation of the devil. They desired what He offered them. They pursued it. And they sinned against the Lord. And they did this according to the will of God. And this is what the, the Scriptures teach us. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Our first parents sinned against God, fulfilling Satan's will, and God's will. Our first parents sinned against God, fulfilling Satan's will and God's will. And so the first thing that we see here is that our first parents' sin was according to the will of Satan. Um, The confession just begins by teaching us that our first parents sinned against God. That's a very, not a a very profound uh, thing to say um, until you think deeply about it. It begins with the, not calling them Adam and Eve, but calling them our first parents. So when you read that statement aloud in any setting, it applies. Wherever you are, whenever you are, you can say to those around you, our first parents sinned against God. This is a uniting factor for all of humanity. Here, sin simply means that Adam and Eve broke God's command. As a probation, and along with the moral law, God forbade Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We just read about this in Genesis chapter 3, that God placed this lone tree in the midst of the garden as a probation, a temporary test for Adam and Eve. If they had passed the test, they would have been confirmed in their righteousness along with all of their descendants with them. This is why we call Adam a federal head. He represented all humanity. But they failed the test. And when they sinned against God, they were seduced by Satan. They were seduced by Satan. The confession of faith emphasizes a couple or one particular characteristic of the devil. 
they were seduced, it says, by the subtlety and temptation of Satan. I think this is something that you and I have to pay pretty close attention to. Um, Webster's Dictionary defines subtlety this way. Something that is delicate, elusive, difficult to understand or perceive, clever, indirect. You might think of a very good running back as having a sort of subtlety. He can, he can find a hole in the offensive line and, and get through into the open field. The devil is the same way. He is elusive, difficult to understand or perceive, clever and indirect. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that Paul describes Satan as cunning. He is cunning. He says there, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He is cunning. The, one of the liter, more literal translations uh, uh, translates that word cunning as subtle, his subtlety. The Sadducees attempted to entrap Jesus by their cunning when in Luke chapter 20, verse 23, they came to him with the question, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? You see, what they were trying to do is is get together and craft a question that would entrap Jesus. This was their objective. They were carefully crafting a question that was intended to entrap Jesus. They were being cunning. Now this describes a willful attempt to deceive skillfully. As I was reading, doing some reading this this week about some of the pagan religions um, and particularly, I talked to you this morning about how Caesarea Philippi was at one time called Panim. Today it's called uh, a dev- derivation of that, Banim. Um, it was devoted to the god, the Greek god Pan, actually a demon. And, and I came across a, a blog from a young woman who called Pan her patron god. And she described how she first had a glimpse of Pan in her parents' garden as he was looking at her from behind a tree. And then from there she began to have dreams about him and longing for him. Now remember, Pan is this god who plays the flute. He is a half goat and a half man. And then she said, I went some time and I didn't have any dreams about him until I was in my late 20s. And I had this particular dream where she said, I was in a, in a forest and it was snowing and a blizzard and the snow was high. And I was so high and so dense that my feet were stuck in place. And as she's describing this dream, she said, the wind began to blow me and I saw this figure in my dream dart around and I began to fall backward being blown by the wind, and I, these arms caught me. And I reached down my hand in my dream, and I could feel the, the furry leg of Pan. And immediately, she says, I felt a fatherly comfort and protection. You see, 
This is exactly how the devil and his operatives work. It isn't simply their will to fill people with fear. If they can seduce and deceive by comfort, they will. This is what makes his subtlety so crafty. You see, when, when, when the devil came to Eve, he appeared to have her best interest at heart. He didn't come with teeth snarling, blood dripping from his lips. He came boldly into the garden. And Eve describes his deception in Genesis chapter 3. What is this that you have done, the Lord said to her. She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Somehow she knew immediately that she had believed a lie. Before any time elapsed or she had observed any death in the world or before Adam had shed any sweat from his brow working the field, before any of that happened, Eve realized she had been deceived. She knew it. What was the great deceit? The great deceit was that Satan led Eve to believe God lied to her. And that he was withholding something good from her. Isn't this what you and I wrestle with on a daily basis as we look at the law of God? And our desires are divided within us. We think that if we give ourselves wholeheartedly to becoming pious people who love the law of God, that in some way that will rob us of the enjoyment of this life. The confession, again, emphasizes two things here. One, our parents' agency and Satan's enticement. It was Adam and Eve who sinned. They chose it, and the consequences were rightly theirs. Satan enticed. It was his design to draw them away from God into corruption. His purpose from the very beginning has been to corrupt and derange God's creation. I can't help but think about the brashness with which he entered into the garden. He didn't stay outside with some sort of blinking beacon saying, please come to me. He went to them. He entered boldly into the garden that God had made for His people. He entered that garden, not waiting outside. He went in, prepared, having crafted the perfect question to appeal to the heart of Eve. And she took it. Hook, line, and sinker. And this should instruct you as you battle sin and temptation in your own life. Satan doesn't simply wait for you to fall into his snare. He's always active. Always crafting. Always thinking. Secondly, we notice that our first parent's sin was according to the will of God. It was according to the will of God. The confession goes on to say, this sin, God was pleased to permit. This, their sin, God was pleased, according to His wise and holy counsel to permit. 
having purposed to order it to his own glory. Now, you're not surprised by this because we've gone through the chapters on uh, God's decree that pertains to all things that come to pass in human history. We've talked about his providence, that God oversees all things, that he is a good and a righteous and a just governor of all things. And so although our first parents, they owned the sin that they did, and they were led astray by the subtlety and temptation of, sa- uh, of Satan, in all that they did, they fulfilled the will of God. The fall of man fulfilled God's will for his creation. That's difficult for us sometimes to get our minds around. God's, the fall of man fulfilled God's will for his creation. A few things to clarify. God does not take pleasure in sin. God does not take pleasure in sin. We have to reconcile the fall to the absolute sovereignty of our Creator God. And this is what the um, writers of the Confession are doing. We've worked through God's decree. We've worked through His providence that He oversees all things whatsoever, all men, all angels. And so we have to say that even though it may be a mystery to us, in some way the fall of man fulfilled the will of God. Because God is an absolute sovereign. Neither Adam nor Satan were in any respect superior to God, such that they destroyed his purpose for his world. And here we remember the fourth paragraph of chapter 5. The almighty power and searchable wisdom and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. What we're saying there simply is that God and the devil are not sitting across a table from one another playing a game of chess. God is fulfilling His purposes in His creation. This is so important for us to to grasp onto and we've talked about many of the reasons for that but especially even though sin has in a sense torn the fabric of God's creation it has not undermined his ultimate purpose to achieve his glory and the good of his people in his creation in other words another simple way to put that is Eden can be restored And it will be restored. I want to give you a link, a little bit of a long quote from John Calvin. We haven't quoted him, I think, in a few weeks, so it's about time. He says this, When I say, however, that Adam did not fall without the ordination and will of God, I do not so take it as if sin had ever been pleasing to him or as if he simply wished that the precept which he had given should be violated. God didn't take any pleasure in the sin of Adam and Eve. So far as the fall of Adam was the subversion of equity and of well-constituted order, 
so far as it was contumacy, rebellion, against the divine lawgiver and the transgression of righteousness, certainly it was against the will of God. It was against the will of God. Yet none of these things render it impossible that for a certain cause, although to us unknown, he might will the fall of man. It offends the ears of some when it is said, God willed this fall. But what else I pray is the permission of him who has the power of preventing and in whose hand the whole matter is placed but his will. I wish that men would rather suffer themselves to be judged by God than that with profane temerity they should pass judgment upon him. But this is the arrogance of the flesh to subject God to its own test. God willed the fall. Perhaps for reasons that he has not yet disclosed to us except that he would accomplish his own glory in it. The confession reminds us that God ordered this to His own glory. In Romans 11, chapter 32, verse 32, we read this, For God has consigned all to disobedience in order that He might have mercy on all. You see, in willing the fall, God has um, shown mercy ultimately to all men. All men in, uh, enjoy the providential mercy of our great God. And we, his children, enjoy his mercy in a saving way. Scripture affirms two things. Adam and Eve sinned. In following the devil's deception, they fulfilled their own desires. Also, Adam and Eve fulfilled God's purpose for his creation. The fall was his will and ordination. And the way that we take comfort from these words is is simply in this, that there's never been a moment in created history when God has been demoted from his position as king and sovereign over his creation, ever. And that was so important to these men as they're writing to Westminster Confession in the middle of a civil war in England. And it's so important to us now, even as sometimes we feel like our hearts would be taken away because of circumstances around us, maybe even closely to you. Personal conflict. The the sadness, perhaps, the threat of, of death. God's plan has never been undermined for His creation. Adam and Eve fulfilled it so that he might show mercy to all. Our first parents sinned against God, fulfilling Satan's will and God's. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we, as we consider these words, Lord, we confess that we come to the end of our understanding. But we thank you, O Lord, that you have seen fit to teach us why this world is broken the way that it is. Our first parents sinned against you. 
We own them for our own, Lord. They are, they are our ancestors in the faith. Adam, our representative head. And Lord, their sin is, is ours. We understand that. Father, we pray and ask that You would help us take all of these words to heart so that we might find comfort in them. Remembering, O oh Lord, that You've never been defeated. Your will has never been subverted, but you are working all things out according to your infinite wisdom. We praise you for this in Christ's name. Amen.